episode two of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. We are recording October 24th, 2016. My name is Brad Galloway. I'm the editor of GameCritics.com, and I'm also 50% of this here show. With me, as always, is another member of the Game Critics staff, Corey Motley. How are you doing, Corey? I don't know how I could say hello to live up to that very silly, like, boxer-like intro you just gave me. <laughs> you could throw a couple jabs, do a couple rounds, I don't know, do some kind of a boxing quote. I don't know. Uh, do I do, like, the float like a butterfly, sting like a bee thing now? Is that what? There is you go. There you go. Sure, people know that one. I don't. I mean, that's probably the only one that I know, that's like, so that's a good one to go. Yeah, that's, like, the only box. Like, I don't think boxers are known for quotes, but I'll just say that, and then that, I guess that'll work. All right, let's go with that. How's your how's your week been? It's been about a week since we recorded last time. What's happened to you in the last seven days? Well, I had a pretty ridiculous weekend because I went to a wedding on Saturday and a reception, and then yesterday I had some friends from uh, friends from out of town in town, and uh, one of my really good guy friends, Adam, and his wife, uh, Madeline, and she actually does CrossFit and she competes at CrossFit competitions. So she was in town. There's competitions for CrossFit? Yeah. How do you compete? It's like, there's like different um, levels. There's like, for this one, there's the scale level, which is like, I'm not going to say easy because it's not easy, but it's like the easiest level. And then there's intermediate, which is the middle. And then there's the RX, which is like the like heavy duty, like people that maybe will go to the Olympics and stuff. Um and it's just like they make up different uh different like exercise routines and they all do them at the same time and they're timed and i guess they score them on like how quickly you do them and how like your uh like your form i guess i don't know a ton about it so i'm not like the authority on crossfit but i went yesterday and it was like like they it was literally like a 14 hour event and i was there for about 12 of those hours and i photographed Holy it shit um, cause I've been photographing parkour for a while and I was like, well, you know, I'll take my camera. Like maybe it'll be fun to take some pictures of CrossFit and the lighting was awful. And I had to like, if you know anything about photography, I had to crank what's called the ISO up, which basically helps in low light situations. But on my camera, if you crank it up, the pictures are kind of grainy, but, uh, I took pictures and it was fun. And, uh, plus there were like a lot of like really muscular hot dudes with their shirts off. So like, that was good for me. I was pretty happy about that. <laughs> um, so you know, taking pictures of people and Madeline actually placed in the finals. It was a, they were in pairs. Um, so like two people came from one gym and her partner, Zach, uh, they actually made finals. So I think they placed eighth, I want to say out of 10 in their class, I think. Um, and I don't know how many competed, maybe like 20 or 30 or so per, uh, per like, uh, scale intermediate or RX. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I feel like there's a, a Pokemon joke to be made here, like competing gyms. I don't know how that would work. Like, and the you know balls would come into it somehow. Um, I don't. Know. I mean, I feel like there's a joke here. I mean, balls for sure. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess what I'm getting at after this entire story is that I actually feel kind of sick today. I think I just had like germ overload from the wedding and the reception and the CrossFit thing yesterday. So hopefully I don't sound too like nasally or too like mouth breathy because I can only breathe out of like one nostril right now. So hopefully. Uh, I don't sound like balls, speaking of balls, because, uh, yeah, I've been surrounded by, like, sweaty germs for the past two days, and now I just, I'm in full-on, like, hoodie and sweatpants mode right now, hoping that I will feel better, like, in a day or two. Is that, like, urban stealth mode? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hoodie and sweatpants. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Anyway, I think that was kind of a Watch Dogs 2 reference, but we're going to move on. We're going to move on. As for me, in the last week, uh, busy as usual, always super busy, but I did have time to go down to Portland. Uh, I live in Seattle, and so it was about a three-hour drive down to Portland, Oregon. And this past weekend was the Portland Retro Video Gaming Expo, which is an awesome show. I love that show. It's one of my favorite shows every year. I go to it pretty much as often as I can. And it's really great because although I don't have like a super great love of retro gaming because I always play whatever's new and what's coming up and what's what's happening. I mean, if you're in the critical sphere, you can't spend too much time in the past. It is so nice to go back and just reconnect with some of those games once in a while. Uh, for those who haven't been to the show, they take over the Portland Exhibition Center or Portland Convention Center, something like that. And the whole floor is just covered with arcade cabinets. Like it's it's like this backbreaking labor where like all these dudes roll up in these trucks and unload all these cabinets. I mean, those things are heavy. They're super heavy. And line them up inside the uh, the center, and they're all set to free play. So you just walk in, and there's just like, uh, you know, just row upon row upon row of arcade cabinets. I mean, you know, anything that you could think of from any age of the uh, arcades and scene here in America. Uh, you just walk right up and push, you know, play. Don't have to bring any quarters. There's also a ton of pinball. And uh, I'm not the world's biggest pinball fan, but I do enjoy pinball. And my kid really likes it a lot. So we go do that. And there's also a whole bunch of stuff to buy, like really cool video game-centered arts and crafts, posters, T-shirts, those perler bead thingies that don't really have a purpose, but they look cool anyway. Lots of stuff like that. And, you know, as much as I love Seattle, and I do love Seattle, although I think it's kind of becoming San Francisco Part 2, which kind of blows, um, I got to say the Portland food scene just kicks the shit out of Seattle. Their food scene is pretty amazing. And if you like just going down on the sidewalk, walking to some food trucks, and getting some real down-to-earth grub, man, Portland is the jam. We ate so much good food in Portland, and a lot of it was just so cheap. Nothing pretentious, nothing fancy, just really, really good. And usually a lot of it too. So that was that was aces for me. I had a pretty good week. Is now that oh, go ahead. is the do you have to hold on? First of all, I've never been to the Portland retro gaming thing. Is it uh, how much do you pay to get in, and is it totally open to the public? It is totally open to the public, and I think tickets are like I want to say ten or fifteen or twenty bucks. I mean, it's not it's not crazy. It's not uh, unreasonable. Um, I get in because I work at GameCritics.com, and so I get a media pass. I don't have to pay for my badge, full disclosure. Uh, but I have paid for the show before, and I would I would go if I had to pay regardless. Uh, it is just an amazing show. But yeah, anybody can go. And they're open late at night. Like, I think the arcade floor is open from, like, 10 o'clock until, like, midnight or 2 a.m., something like that, for all three days. It's really cool. A really great show. And if you want to just hang out, they've got, like, the time, uh, appropriate music playing, like, a lot of, like, Journey and bon jovi or some chiptune stuff or whatever and just like hanging out in that arcade section is really cool so anyway if you get the chance you're in the pacific northwest uh next october go check them out in portland it's good times good times good times um okay that is way more banter than i wanted to do (laughs) we have fulfilled our banter quota we got to move on to the content of the show my friend all right let's talk about video games Okay, let's let's do it after a brief consideration period. We're going to talk about video games. Um, okay, so uh, we're right on the cusp of a few big game releases coming up in the next couple of weeks. Titanfall 2 is one that I'm excited about. Uh, Dishonored 2, Watch Dogs 2, Final Fantasy 15, a little bit further down the road. Any of those uh, interesting to you, Corey? Yeah, I'm actually... Uh, I think Dishonored 2 is like the last... 
I don't want to say this cemented because I'm not sure if it's true, but I feel like it's the last big game that I'm like really, 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 really looking forward to at the end of the year. And I'm actually looking forward to Watch Dogs 2 as well. I kind of keep forgetting that Watch Dogs 2 is coming out this year, though, but I definitely want to play it because I, I liked the first Watch Dogs. I didn't love it. I just liked it. But I feel like and I feel like everybody's making this comparison that it's going to be like an Assassin's Creed to an Assassin's Creed 2 thing where Watch Dogs 2 is like really going to take off and do all the excellent stuff that Watch Dogs 1 meant to do, but didn't quite get there. And I'm hoping that that is actually the case. Um, I just feel like my excitement for it is like super low because I just keep forgetting that it's actually coming out this year, but I'm hoping that it'll be a pleasant surprise once I actually get my hands on it. That is a weird comparison to make, but I get what you're saying totally. But I, I didn't like Watch Dogs, and I don't like Assassin's Creed, so it kind of sounds like you're saying it's a bad game going to be a bad game, well, which I, mean, <laughs> I don't think is... I, I get what you're saying totally, well, I mean, but for me, I'm like, They're Ugh. both developed by Ubisoft, and I feel like that... Because I don't really like Assassin's Creed that much either, but I feel like if you're in like the Assassin's Creed circle or whatever, I mean, it's pretty much notoriously known that Assassin's Creed 1 was like supposed to be amazing, and it ended up being just kind of repetitive and boring, but Assassin's Creed 2 is where... like this series really took off and like did something cool with all the things that they kind of meant to do with the first one. So I'm really hoping that, uh, that Watch Dogs 2 will do the same thing. And hopefully we're not going to get a Watch Dogs every year, like Assassin's Creed, where they just copy and paste a game and put it out every year because uh, Watch Dogs will get very old if that happens. So I hope that does not happen, but um, we'll just have to see what they decide to do, I guess. Yeah, we'll see. I think I'm way more excited for Titanfall 2, um, just because the campaign mode looks really interesting, and that was a universe I felt like they really didn't do enough with. Um, multiplayer was fine, but I felt like there was a lot of missed opportunities there. I might check out Watch Dogs 2. I hated number one. Uh, Dishonored 2, interested, but I think that Dishonored 1 is really overrated. I think it's really overrated, and it never clicked with me. I just did not like it. We're gonna have to Final fight. Fantasy. We're gonna have to fight about this, Brad. Because Dishonor- did you like Dishonored, Dishonored the first one? one? Dishonored one is one of those games where the first time I played it, I was like, okay, this game's like pretty good. Like I like it, but I'm not in love with it. And then it's one of those games where I like I replayed it like three times, and by like the second replay or the third replay, I I kept thinking to myself. You know, this game has to be really good if I actually want to keep going back and replaying it because it's pretty rare that I will, like, play a game two or three or four times, you know, in this day and age because there's always something new coming out and I'm busy sometimes. So it's, like, one of those games that, like, secretly was really excellent to me, but it just kind of took me a little while to get around to realizing that it was excellent to me. So I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's sort of how it happened to me. It makes sense. And I mean, honestly, that game has a lot of fans. I mean, a lot of people that I talk to have much love for that game. But I got to say, I just I just was not able to get into the stealth. I felt like the first person perspective plus stealth just didn't work for me. And I know that the game gives you a lot of tools to kind of help manage that. But I just I could never get it to work. And the thing that really bugged me, too, was like there was like no downtime. Like you never got a chance to just like quietly walk around the city like you were always under attack when you were not at home base. It got exhausting after a while, and I just I just didn't like it that much. Uh, but I know that game has a lot of fans. I'm sure that we will be talking about it in the very near future. I'm sure you're going to play it, and if you're going to play it, I will probably play it as well. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that at some point. But in the meantime, we do have some other news uh, that we can talk about, not about a new game, but about a new console. That's right, the Nintendo Switch. The console formerly known as the Nintendo NX was revealed. To the world recently, uh, Nintendo put out a trailer, 
had all sorts of information about it. People have been chattering about it for the last few days. It was revealed that, as people expected, it is kind of a hybrid console. There is a docking station uh, to put the, I guess, the touchpad section of it, the, the part that looks like an iPad. Hold on, did they put confirm, that in the docking station? Did they confirm that it's a touchpad? Because I saw lots of people saying that it probably is not a touchpad. Interesting, because I had heard that it was confirmed to be a touchpad, so I guess we don't know. Yeah, I also have I not thought... been reading up on a lot of news on this, so don't really trust my opinion here. Well, we will find out. I had heard it was I had heard it was a multi-touch, which was a step up from what the Wii U did, but I guess I guess well, we'll find out. We'll find out. Basically, there's a there's a, a part that looks like an iPad. There's a docking base that you plug that into when you're at home and then that shoots the uh, the gameplay up onto your TV. There's also these two little tiny little little embarrassing looking controllers that snap onto the side of it, which I feel like you're going to lose the first time you disconnect them from the <laughs> iPad part. And then there's also this weird little chunky plastic thing that you can connect those controllers up to if you want to leave the iPad part in the dock, but you still want to use the teeny controllers. And then you can also use like the, uh, the, the, what is it? The controller pro, I, what is it called? pro controller, pro controller. You can use the pro controller wirelessly with it. So there's all sorts of things that you can do. You can take it with you and there's a little kickstand on the back of it. You can set it up and your friends can gather around. I, I guess if you have friends, if you want to gather around in a public place, you can play some games with it. I mean, there's like three or four different modes that you could use this thing in, but basically the idea is you have a game at home, you can take it with you where you go, you play it on the go, you bring it back home, same game. So I got a lot of stuff to say about it, but I want to hear your take first, Corey. What did you think when you saw the Switch revealed? What are your thoughts on it? Talk at me. Say a bunch of words. Go. Well, I was going to say this actually kind of fits because considering the Assassin's Creed and the Watch Dogs references that I just made, I kind of feel like Nintendo is doing the same thing with the Switch. Like... This is, like, everything that the Wii U was supposed to be, but now it's, like, actually, like, the good version of what they meant to do in the first place. Because, you know, the the Wii U, it's, like, it's kind of similar, where it's, like, you have the screen and the controller as one unit, and, like, maybe you can take it with you. Well, I guess you can't really take the Wii U controller that far away from the console without it messing up, but I, I mean, maybe that's something that they wanted to do in the original planning. But it looks like on the Switch, you can actually take it with you, you know, like on the bus or to a friend's house or whatever, and that it kind of holds a charge on its own. So it's like more of a merger between the 3DS and the Wii U. And I think that's good. But uh, honestly, uh, I I mean, I, I'm just not interested in Nintendo. Like I bought a Wii way back in like 2007 or whatever. Um, I literally have probably only played about five to ten games on it i think i only own like two games for the wii i bought a wii u um as a christmas present for my partner like two christmases ago and i rarely play the wii u um like literally this is so sad but the game i've played the most on the wii u is deus ex human revolution director's cut because that's like my second favorite game of all time and i own it in three i own it three times one was the original version one was a director's cut for xbox 360 and one was a director's cut for the wii u and i think i played that game the most on it but i just like i know nintendo has a huge audience but i'm not interested in their first party games like i don't care about mario i don't care about zelda i don't care about i care a little bit about metroid but that's like the one series that i kind of a little bit care about which oddly enough they haven't really been doing anything with for a while um but I just kind of don't care. And the one thing that cracks me up is that, like, 
it, it, Nintendo does this song and dance every single time they release a new console where they say, hey, look at all this third-party support we're going to have. Like, let's put all these publishers and developers' names up there of people who aren't Nintendo and try to wow you with the third-party support we're going to get. And it never, it, it like, it never, like, ends up happening because the thing I always think about is whenever the PlayStation Vita was announced and they put you know, uh, Irrational Games up there and Ken Levine and everybody thought we were going to get this cool Bioshock game for the PS Vita. And then, like, five years later, someone in an interview asked Ken Levine, like, oh, so what's going on with that with that Bioshock game for, you know, PlayStation Vita? And he was like, oh, well, it's not even in development. Like, we're not even making it. And that's the thing I always think about whenever it comes to third-party support for Nintendo games because, A, the games are either going to be not great or B, the games are just never going to get made because the system is going to tank and third-party support, like, they're not going to want to put all their resources into a game for for the Switch or for the Wii U or whatever if it's just not going to be bought. And the fact that they used Skyrim as an example, like, the remastered Skyrim in the first trailer for the Switch just cracked me up because it's like, okay, Skyrim's been out for, like, how many years now? And I know it has a huge fan base, but, like, if you're trying to sell a new system on a remastered version of like a four-year-old game like i feel like there's a problem there and i also feel like it's a problem whenever uh because didn't people like go to bethesda and like like they didn't even confirm that skyrim was coming to the console even though they like showed it off in the first trailer it just seems like it's such a fucking mess and i'm just not i'm just not interested i'd not into nintendo i probably won't buy it i just don't really care that much Okay, so you're pretty excited about it. That's good news. Totally. Um, as far... Day one. Day one, bye. <laughs> day one. Day one. <laughs> uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know, uh, people who know me from Game Critics know that I'm not the world's uh, biggest Nintendo fan. Um, I don't really care a lot for their first-party franchises. Uh, I mean, I play them, but I'm not, like, a huge fan. I have not been a big fan of the Wii U. I have not been a big fan of the Wii Uh, 3DS is okay by me, but otherwise Nintendo has been kind of on a losing streak in my house. But I think that this kind of is different for me. When you look at the Wii, which I still feel like is a gimmick, and I don't care how many fucking copies it sold, it's still a gimmick, and it really tanked once everybody got tired of Wii Sports. Once you come to the Wii U, which nobody really did anything with, and nobody could figure out what the fuck it was supposed to be for, uh, with those systems, I mean, Nintendo kind of said, we hope that developers will take these consoles and figure out something cool to do with them because we've given you all these new options, but we don't know what the fuck we're going to do with them, so somebody's going to do it, and nobody ends up doing it, right? So, like, what ended up happening was there's a bunch of gimmicky games, a few, you know, a few admittedly good games, but, like, the libraries never took off, and they just didn't go anywhere. But I will say that this particular time, the perceived use case for the Switch is something that I actually think is a good idea. Um, if you have a PS Vita, and I have a PS Vita, and I love the PS Vita, we're not talking about that, but I love it. The PS Vita has a bunch of cross-save games where you can play a game on the Vita, upload your save to a PS4, continue the game on the PS4, play some on the PS4, send it back to the Vita. I've done that a few times, and I love it. I think it's awesome. And one of the very uh, few games that I spent a lot of time with on the Wii U was Monster Hunter. Uh, anybody who knows me knows I'm a Monster Hunter fan. You could cross-play on the Wii U. Play it at home on your TV, send your save over to the 3DS, take that with you, bring it back to the Wii U. That was great. Like, I've done that a few times, and I think it's an amazing feature. I don't think very many people have done it, so maybe a lot of people right now don't realize, like, how awesome that is, but it actually is awesome. So for them to focus on a use case which actually makes sense and which actually is proven, 
in my mind at least, is a step forward rather than sticking all this random stuff. I mean, like copying an iPad or like the motion controls and all this other stuff they've done in the past, which just hasn't really panned out. So I think that's good. I also think that they really need to get their shit in gear when it comes to third party. I think you were right on the money when it comes to third party, because if they don't do third party, like if they don't get a bunch of people on board, it's going to be the same old story all over again. And I definitely agree that porting stuff, especially old stuff, is not the way to go. I mean, if you want to have it on the system, no harm, no foul. That's fine. Like, I mean, I'm never going to play Skyrim again. I don't even fucking like Skyrim, but I know people like it. I don't know if people who like it are going to play it again on the Switch. But, you know, if you want to just have it on there, that's no problem. But if you're relying on ports, if you're relying on old games, uh, that's kind of what happened with the Wii U. Like, they were getting really shabby second-rate ports, and it just wasn't really doing anything for their library. If they want to really push the Switch, I think that what they need to do is to, A, push the can you, come on, transfer can functionality. take a second here what? and talk about how you said if they want to push the Switch? Do you oh, did that? I say that? Yes, Brad. Dude, don't even yeah. Play, don't even play like you didn't mean to say that. Oh, my God. Right on. I did. I made that joke Get and didn't even know here. I was making that joke. You're fired. All right. Push the switch. I'm gonna. I'm gonna wait. Wait. I'm gonna write that in the notes. Push, push, push the switch. Oh my god. Okay. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> um. But no, I think what they really need to do is they really need to focus on getting a core group of games that are exclusive to the switch, and really fucking play up hard like that. That connectivity. Like take it with you, take it over to your friend's house, bring it back home. Like they gotta have games that that are not just on the switch, but that really showcase the switch. So I think this is a better concept than they've had. I really think it's going to work if they do it well. Uh, I'm I, This is the most positive I've been about Nintendo in like a decade. So I hope they get it right. I don't know that I will be there on day one. I guess a lot depends on what's available. But I'm definitely interested. Way more interested than I was for the Wii and way more than I was for the Wii U. So seems like we're kind of split here. Corey, probably not. Brad, seems so. Huh. But I also See, think, um, speaking of it launching, I think it's pretty fascinating that they're going with a, what did they say, March 2017 launch date? Because, uh, I mean, historically, consoles launch in October or November, like right before Black Friday, right before Christmas, so you can get like the Christmas rush and everybody wants to buy it. So I think it's kind of fascinating that they're doing a springtime console release, especially because, I mean, aside from the xbox one slim and the playstation 4 pro i mean those aren't like new consoles so nintendo doesn't really have anything to worry about as far as like battling you know like a brand new console from sony or playstation so it's kind of fascinating that they're doing like a a springtime lunch because maybe that will encourage people to buy it if they want to you know go outside when it's warm or go over to a friend's house or something rather than you know stay huddled up in the cold in their apartments and play it on their tv like i don't know if that's a thing that's going to work from but i think it's pretty interesting I agree. I think that's a pretty good idea for a couple reasons. For the reasons you said, I agree with that. Also, I think that they would do well to stay away from competition. Uh, I don't think that it would do well this Christmas because there's just not enough support, not enough uh, mindshare for it. It's, I mean, I think a lot of people either have the PS4 or the Xbox One, and they're probably going to be getting the other one. I think I'm hearing a lot of people, like, finally the consoles are cheap enough to, like, double dip like that. Also, if you wait until next year, um, everybody's going to have Christmas money left over, and it's, it's soon enough that I think a lot of people could wait if they know the Switch is coming. And also, uh, you know, next year, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? People are saying that the Switch is not necessarily as powerful as it should be at this point in the game. So if their console is not that powerful, I mean, do they really want to wait around for when, like, the Scorpio launches 
or whoever knows what Sony's going to do next. I mean, I don't exactly know where the market's going to be, but if it doesn't stack up very favorably in a uh, side-by-side comparison, they're very smart to launch in a window when there is traditionally not much else going on. Um, which kind of brings me to my next question to you, Corey. Um, let's talk about price, man, because we don't have a lot of details about it. Nobody announced a price or anything like that. But I think I think Nintendo's got to be bold, and if the Switch is going to be a thing, I think that you need to make it easy for people to get into it. I'm asking you, sir, right now, right here, let's make a prediction. What do you think the Switch is going to debut at in March of 2017? Man, I, had, I literally have not thought about what they would price it until just a second, probably because I haven't really thought about buying it or what it would take for me to buy it. Um, I feel like, hmm, this is tough. I instinctually, I want to say like 300. Um, Mm -hmm. but one thing I'm also keeping in the back of my mind is that, like you said earlier, you know, you have the screen, you have the controllers on the sides. I bet you they're going to flood the market with all of these dumbass peripheral controllers that you slide into the sides of the screens and who knows if probably if they'll need them for certain games or if you won't need it but that'll be another way for them to make money because that's just like i mean the wii u controller because for the longest time i mean no games on the wii u support two wii u controllers and if you needed a second wii u controller wasn't it like a bajillion dollars and you had to like order it from nintendo directly or something like that and i i just feel like uh they're probably the console might be reasonably cheap like 300 i i can't see them going any higher than like 400 and i feel like 200 or 250 is too cheap but the other stuff is probably what's gonna you know cost you the controllers that slide in and the extra controllers and whatever other peripherals they decide to come out with that slide into the sides of the screen so um i don't know what do you think well i think if nintendo wants to push the switch oh god (laughs) if they want to do that here's the thing i think that it's probably going to be i think that it's going to cost more than we think it will be like to make i think like in terms of components and parts and stuff i I mean you know it's a pretty good piece of hardware it looks like lots of parts lots of you know aspects to it but the fact is you could get a ps4 slim for 299 that's just like straight up price that's not taking into account any future price drops that's not taking into account any holiday sales or anything that gets discounted after the holidays. So I think the legs of the PS4 have been proven. There's a shitload of really good games. It's got great online. It's 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 the hot console right now, and it's the place to be. So I think if Nintendo wants to take some of that lunch, I think they're going to have to come in under that, honestly. I mean, I think it's going to have to be. If not, it's going to be an uphill battle. So as crazy as it may sound, and I do think it sounds kind of crazy. I think, I think it's going to come in at 250. I think it's got to be at least that low to get some impulse purchases, to get some people thinking, well, I could get a PS4, but this one's 250. Maybe I'll wait and get a Pro later, but this one's cheap. I can afford it now. You know, this is way cheaper than Scorpio. If they're thinking about that, I don't. I think it's got to be cheap. I think it's got to be cheap if they wanna if they wanna make inroads. So I'm th- I'm saying 250. I might be wrong, but I'm saying 250. Well, I, I feel like 250 is not totally unreasonable. I mean, I could, I could see that. And plus, if they do 250 at launch, by the time uh, the holiday season actually comes around later, they could they'll probably do like bundles with you know extra games and stuff, but keep the price at 250. Because usually, whenever 
holiday stuff rolls around with consoles just from working i worked at target for 11 years so i got to see it in and out they usually don't discount the consoles they just throw in extra shit and keep it at the same price so they could do that like once they have some proven games out over the summer and early fall they could just bundle you know like zelda in with it and you know a mario game or something and keep the price the additional launch price but then you actually save you know the 120 dollars you would spend on two games and then you know that could be like their second surge of of buying for the you know for the holiday season with just extra packed in games and bundles and stuff very true very true um we've actually talked about the switch longer than i plan to but i do want to ask you one more thing uh and then we're going to move on right after that so a lot of uh, pundits in the industry are looking at the Switch and they think it's like an instant fail. I think they're wrong. But the thing that they most often cite is that, oh, Nintendo's trying to take over take over the mobile space. And, and, and ter- I mean, mobile space, and I, I mean mobile as opposed to handheld. Like, a, a lot of people who are, you know, paid to have opinions. I'm not talking about critics necessarily, but, but people who predict the industry or people who, like, make these forecasts. Uh, a lot of these people are predicting that handhelds are dead. And that all that's left is consoles and mobile. And they're also predicting that consoles are going to be dead, too, which I think is utter bullshit. I think those guys don't know what the fuck they're talking about. But let me ask you this, Corey. Um, I I see a space existing for handhelds. And I see the Switch as in that handheld space. I do have an iPhone. Um, I have played some mobile games. And by mobile, I mean, like, phone games or iPad games. And honestly, I think 99% of those are hot fucking garbage. So I feel like if Nintendo can come through with some really quality games, those already outclass anything you can get on the, uh, okay, 99% of stuff you can get on the uh, iTunes store or the Android store or whatever. I mean, what do you think about that? Do you feel like, do you feel like Nintendo is making a move on mobile? Do you think there's still a space in the handheld zone? What do, what do you think about that concern? Man, I don't know. Like, I don't think that the Nintendo Switch is going to, like, put up... I don't really think it's going to put up a big fight against mobile. I don't know. I mean, these are also things that I should probably think about more that I don't really think about right now. But um, I don't know. I feel like Nintendo is always going to have some kind of handheld console around, you know, whether it's the 3DS or whatever the next 3DS is going to be. Because I feel like their handheld consoles are like the money makers for them because everybody has a 3DS or a DS or, you know, whatever. And that's kind of what what does it for him um and who knows if playstation's ever going to do another handheld console because they always do a big initial push for um you know for the psp and the playstation vita but then they don't like i mean it's it's funny because with sony like you know they do a big push for their for their handheld uh devices and then it's the third parties that come in and like really elevate those to greatness but because sony doesn't give a lot of first party support for their handhelds a lot of people think they're dead but you of all people will say that you know the playstation vita is not dead because you use it all the time it has great third-party support and i feel like it's totally the opposite with nintendo like they launch a console and they like try to rake in all this third-party support and promote it like that's what's going to elevate them to greatness and then the third parties are actually the ones that like fuck it up for them and then the first party is actually what does it right and i realize i'm totally not answering your question right now but i just was on a train of about it <laughs> I, was, I was thinking that too but go ahead <laughs> um but i i don't know i mean i feel like handhelds will always be a thing mobile is obviously always going to be a thing because i mean you everybody has a phone like it's not like um i mean it's not like somebody's going to be like oh well do i want to buy a cell phone or do i want to get the nintendo switch like that's never going to be a question because a phone is always something you have um 
I'm sure Nintendo is always going to be putting out another like 3DS or whatever, a 4DS. If they can do like Smell-O-Vision or something. Um, don't know what Sony's going to do. I just, I don't really see this taking over the market space. I mean, I feel like the Switch, the only thing it would compete with is maybe like tablets. Because I feel like you can get a lot of the same like iPad or Android tablet experience on the Switch if the touchscreen is actually like up to snuff for what you know iPads and other tablets can do but and that will raise a question like well do I want to spend $250 on an on a switch or 300 or however or do I want to buy an iPad because that is an actual question that I could see myself facing in the future like because I have an iPad but it's like I bought it in 2011 so it's old it still works but it's you know it's kind of on it's uh it's kind of going down um not as fast as quick doesn't really hold as much anymore and I mean, in the future, that's a question I could see myself saying if I happen to have an extra $300 lying around, which I probably won't, but, uh, oh, do I want to get a new iPad or do I want to get a Switch? Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm doing an awful job of answering your question right now. I'm just like <laughs> rambling. <laughs> well, let me, let me ask you this one more really quick. Do you ever play uh, iPhone games, iPad games? Do you ever play anything on those or no? Uh, sometimes. Um some recent ones that I've played that I've liked are the like uh, Lara Croft Go and Hitman Go uh, and Deus Ex Go. I think uh, Square Enix Montreal is doing an excellent job in really using the touchscreen platform in a good way. Because the last thing I want on my phone or on my iPad is like a third person shooter or, you know, just kind of like a game for a console like Grafted. Um, but, right. but it's also funny because I don't play iPhone games a ton. But at the same time, some of uh, like... I'm not going to say like some of the best games I've ever played are on the iPhone, but there are a handful of games that I played on, on my iPhone that I am in love with. Like uh, I love the room games. Um, they're just like the puzzle games though. Like the room two, what was my, I think it was my game of the year or whatever year it came out. Cause I was obsessed with that game. Um, wow. Really? Yeah. I, Interesting. I love the room games. Um, also there's a game called uh, today. I die again which is old it's probably like five or six years old and it's more of like an interactive poetry kind of game but it's so great and the music is just lovely i fucking love that game and i feel like nobody's ever heard of it but it's so good um and i loved uh we talked about this on the last show but um benjamin rivers who did alone with you which we talked about home his previous game uh home a unique horror adventure i played that on my ipad and that was my game of the year that it came out too so it's always like this one like obscure indie game that i play on mobile that i like get obsessed with every single year and like last year it was her story like i didn't think her story was that great but that was like the mobile game to be like it was you know everybody loved it and it was innovative and interesting so i don't know like i feel like there's always like a handful of like amazing games that come out on mobile every year and and then you're right 99 percent of the rest of it is just like crap or stuff that other people have um you know it's just like copy pasted trying to steal other people's concepts but you know, even though I don't game on mobile much, so I have some amazing experiences on the games that I really do like on mobile. Hmm. All right. Well, I think we should probably uh, wrap it up on the Switch talk. Uh, we went way over time on that, so we are going to have to rush through our next topic. Do you think Hopefully we should? We can get it done. Do you think we should maybe switch off from the Nintendo Switch? Shh. Wait a minute. You stole my joke. Yeah. Don't do the Switch jokes. I do the Switch. Yeah, take that. <laughs> Oh, oh, tit for tat, tit for tat. All right, touche, my friend, touche. We are getting off the switch. Uh, okay, so enough of that. Corey, 
Um, you have been playing the new Battlefield 1, or Battlefield Uno, as I like to call it, developed by DICE, which I always think is kind of a weird name for a studio, and published by EA. It is currently available on Xbox One, PS4, PC, I guess, if you swing that way. So, Battlefield 1. Corey, tell us all about it. All right. Well, I only played it for like two hours. I, uh, I game flight it, and I gotta say, Gamefly is getting a lot better about, like, sending games quickly to me, because I think this game shipped on... Because the cool thing about Gamefly is sometimes if you have a brand new game, it'll ship, like, a day early, because they, like, counteract the fact that it'll take, like, a few days to get to you. And I'm pretty sure this game shipped on Thursday, and it was officially released on Friday, and I think it was in my mailbox on Saturday, which I was amazed by. So I played it for... Nice. Yeah, like, sometimes they get it right, and I only live three hours from a distribution center, so that probably helps. Um, But uh, I played it for about three hours last night, and... Or three hours, sorry. That's the length of the distribution center. I played it for about an hour or two last night, and... um, One thing, this is, like, kind of off-topic, but one thing that I think is actually interesting about Battlefield is that or Battlefield 1, is that I, you know, I'm not going into it looking for, like, a history book lesson on World War One, but something that I do think is fascinating is that, you know, the game opens with some quotes about, you know, World War One was the war to end all world, you know, 60 million people fought in it, and, you know, and nothing, you know, really changed, and all this stuff, and, you know, it's one of those things where, like, you know, imagine you're in sixth grade and you're reading a history book and you hear, you know, 60 million people fought in this war. Well, that doesn't, you know, whenever, because if you're someone like me, that doesn't really mean a whole lot to you. Because to me, like 60 million people, I'm like, all right, cool. Like, what's the next paragraph say? But I mean, if you actually stop to think about that, I mean, 60 million people is like, that's a shitload of people. That's a lot of people, 60 million people. And so just like from that alone, I was like, okay, this kind of seems like a big deal because I am the worst history buff ever like history classes in middle school and high school were what i was always not interested in at all and in my school district and i feel like this is a product of my generation i feel like people school districts always hired because all my history teachers were coaches they coach football they coach basketball and i feel like that our school districts always hired them as coaches first and then they were just like oh well i guess they could be a history teacher too And so I feel like world history and American history was never really taught to me in school. Like they just kind of sat us down with a big textbook and they were like, all right, read these 10 pages today. And then next week we have a test. Like, and that's not how I like to learn, especially when, you know, I'm 10 years old. Like if you put a textbook in front of me in a classroom at 8 a.m. and tell me to read about American history when I don't even like my brain is not mature enough to really understand everything that's going on. Um, it just doesn't work for me so i feel like i was never taught history very well and like i said i'm not looking at battlefield one to be a history lesson but it's just interesting to kind of like play a simulated version of things that did slash possibly did happen at the time and i realized i just talked for five minutes and said like absolutely nothing about the game at all but that's kind of (laughs) that's kind of how i'm approaching it but I mean, the game is what you think it's going to be. It's a first-person shooter with guns, and you're fighting in World War, and you play the fir- the intro, like, 10 minutes is really cool. You play as, like, the... I can't remember. I think they're called, like, the Harlem Soldiers or something. I can't remember, but it's, like, an all... Oh, the, the Hellfighters. Yeah, yeah the, Hellfighters. the Harlem Hellfighters. And it's, like, an all-black division in, uh, in World War One, And so it's cool because you're, like, going back and forth. Like, they expect you to die. You know, you fight as one soldier for two minutes, and then you die, and it shows you, like their name and their birth and death dates 
and then you go to the next soldier and that each soldier delivers like a little monologue about the war which is kind of neat and so you're fighting like in the trenches and you know it's muddy and gross and you know you're throwing you know the sticky grenades and the ones with the spikes and stuff and and then after that the game officially opens up and it gives you like five like kind of mini campaigns to choose from and from what i can tell you could play them in any order which i think is pretty cool but one of the things i think is kind of lame is like i feel like the kind of build of the game is like you know like oh you get to play as black people because everybody knows that like but you like you just don't get to play as black people in games very much and i'm all about diversity in gaming you know uh skin colors lgbtq issues all that stuff and like the cover of the game is like a black dude like that's what you know him pointing the gun and him holding the spike grenade and so you play as a black person for the first like 10 minutes of the game or like a few black people and then like it opens up the campaigns and it's like all white people and i'm like are you kidding me like come on like i know it's probably not like super historically accurate for like every soldier in world war one to be black but it's like come on dudes like can can i play somebody else i mean there's one woman and like the Saudi Arabia section and I haven't gotten into her campaign yet so I don't really know what all that represents but it's like campaign one is a white dude campaign two is a white dude campaign three is a white dude campaign four is a white dude and then the last one is like uh like the chick from Saudi Arabia or whatever and I'm just like oh come on like like can I I, don't know, I was just kind of disappointed because I feel like they build of the game it's like like ah oh, black person on the cover diversity and then after the first 10 minutes it's like all right see you later black people like let's get back to the white people on the war and i it's kind of annoyed <laughs> me a little bit <laughs> uh, well okay so uh, that's kind of interesting i i didn't know i mean i knew that they had had the involvement of the harlem hellfighters which i believe was actually a, an actual unit that fought in the war um i don't know if that um arabic woman is historical or not i did hear a little bit about her campaign i heard some people saying that her section of the campaign was actually pretty good um so maybe like check that out and get back to me on that but like in terms of like the gameplay i mean of the bit that you saw so far i mean is it just more the same just you know different setting uh you know a little bit better graphics i mean is it just like another first person shooter basically yeah i mean if you've played a battlefield or like a call of duty you pretty much know what it is like the section i played so far you like drive a tank around for a little while and like shoot some dudes and then like the tank kind of breaks down so you get out of it and you're like walking in front of the tank to kind of like lead them down these like really foggy streets and i mean it looks really pretty i mean it's like this cool like white fog everywhere and you're like in the middle of this forest and you kind of like lead the tank down a trail and then there's like an enemy encampment and you can go at it stealthy and you could like go up and like hit them with your club or whatever or you can just like open fire and you know shoot all the dudes and then after, you know, you take out all the guys in the little encampment, then you lead the tank down another section. And that's kind of what, I mean, I, I like I said, I'm only like an hour or two into it, so I'm not that far. But, I mean, it's pretty much what you expect. You have, you know, two guns, a grenade, you know, different grenades. Um, it's first-person shooting. It can be stealthy at certain parts. It uh, It's mostly just, you know, shooting dudes. So, I mean, it's nothing new or crazy or innovative um you know which i mean i guess is fine but it's also kind of nice because i've never played an entire battlefield campaign before and it's kind of nice because it's not like you know like dude bro like hoorah military shooter because it's world war one like it's not like that so it's kind of nice because it's more like subtle even though it is you know just you shooting people but uh it's kind of nice that it's that it's not like that it's not like call of duty sort of uh you know like new age military modern um right 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 but i mean for anybody that's played a battlefield you know exactly what you're getting it does not seem to 
you know, uh, flip the script or anything on first-person shooters. It's just shooting dudes, pretty much, um, from what I can tell so far, at least. As for me, I don't think that I probably will play it. It doesn't. I'm not big on first-person shooters. I'm definitely not big on first-person military shooters. Um, I don't know. I'm not seeing a lot that seems to say that it's a Brad game. But do you feel like you're going to finish the campaign? You got to send it back unfinished. How are you feeling on it? Like at this particular moment? I would like to finish the campaign. I, I don't know how long it is or how feasible that is. And I know people don't come to Battlefield for the campaigns, but I am not a multiplayer person. So, I mean, if I finish the campaign, I'll send it back right after that. But, uh, I, I mean, I want to finish the campaign, but what I'm worried about is that, because um, Dishonored 2, which is, like I said earlier, is like my last kind of big game I'm looking forward to, that comes out in a couple of weeks. I think it's November 11th. And... I mean, surely I can finish Battlefield before then. I'm sure I can probably finish it in like a week or a few days. But I'm worried that like something more interesting will come out before I finish Battlefield. And if that's the case, I might not finish it. But um, I mean, one of the only reasons I'm playing Battlefield right now is because I don't have anything better to play, which sounds terrible. But I mean, if there were a big like, you know, uh, group of games in front of me, I would not pick Battlefield 1 first. But uh, I mean, it doesn't seem like you know, offensive enough for me to not finish it. So I'm planning to, but hopefully it just doesn't get too hard because most of the time with Battlefield games, there's always like one section I get to that's just really hard. And then I always end up just not finishing it because I don't really care enough about Battlefield to finish it. So hopefully this one does not do that. Hopefully. I hear exactly what you're saying. I haven't played uh, a lot of Battlefield games, but I do know that kind of game where it's like, Maybe you're excited for something that's coming out in a couple weeks, but it's not here yet. You got to do something with your time. You have something handy. Looks okay. Like you said, not offensive. It's not terrible. You're playing it and it's fine. But the second that thing that you're looking forward to comes out, you're going to drop that game in a second and maybe, you know, probably never come back to it. It's like one of those uh, just time fillers, you know, like, and, and, and those are okay. Those serve their purpose. But I, it, it's interesting you said, like, as long as it's not too hard, because that's kind of how I feel about it, too. Like, if I'm, if I'm playing a game where all I'm really doing is, is spinning my wheels with it, if it's if it's fine, if it flows, if I can just kind of just, you know, put in my time and roll credits, I'll do that. But if it starts, like, asking a lot for me, I'll be like, nah, and just move on. So, interesting, interesting. Okay, well, that sounds like Battlefield 1. Um, we are really, really short of time, so we're going to kind of blow through these next one really quick. Um, as for me, still putting a lot of time into Darkest Dungeon, currently playing on PS4, also available on PC. Great, great game. Not going to talk about it now, but I give it a big thumbs up. Isn't it? Views up it's on, on PS Vita oh. too, right? Yes, it is actually on PS Vita. The controls are kind of wonky on Vita. I don't recommend it on Vita. Uh, it's possible. It works. It's fine. It's functional, but it's way better on PS4. It just feels much more comfortable um, in terms of controls and just the size of the display and stuff. Um, thumbs up to Darkest Dungeon. My reviews on Game Critics. Check it out if you want to uh, hear more about that. Uh, but instead, I'm going to talk about a game that came out, I believe it was last week. It's called Mordheim. City of the Damned takes place in the Warhammer universe, a uh, well-known product license from Games Workshop, developed by Rogue Factor, and it is published by Focus Home Interactive, currently available on Xbox One, PS4, and PC. Uh, so, Mordheim. Um, the easiest way to describe it in a nutshell is it's kind of like XCOM set in the Warhammer universe. Uh, now, this is not Warhammer 40K with, like, the dudes in the giant suit of armor and all the weird, uh, you know, battle machines and stuff like that. This is the, the, the more medieval type fantasy medieval with, uh, 
orcs and swords and clubs and bows and arrows and stuff like that. Um, so I think the setting is kind of cool. I've always kind of wanted to get into Warhammer, but I don't want to play the tabletop game because those miniatures are really expensive and I just don't have the space, don't have anybody to play with. But I've always kind of wanted to get into it. So I keep checking out the games that uh, are associated with this license and Games Workshop, who owns the license, it seems like they'll let anybody make a game with their name on it. It's it's kind of weird. Like, they don't seem very picky about who puts out a Warhammer or Warhammer 40K game. Uh, but as cool as XCOM in the Warhammer universe sounds, this game fucking blows. Like, I really, really bounced off it hard. Uh, it's just, it's rough, like, from every possible aspect. I mean, the tutorial, really dense, really difficult. It's like one of those that tells you a lot of stuff but doesn't let you do it, and they don't really show you the use case for why they're teaching you this stuff. Um, like the beginning of the game is just like really difficult. There's a ton of like weird UI on the screen. It looks like you're looking at just like a bunch of text on top of like a game. And it's like, you can't see the screen very well and you don't really know why all this stuff is on the screen. And so it's very confusing. Definitely needed some UI designers to like pair that back and make it more readable, make it more sensible. Uh, the gameplay itself is just really just I mean, it's it's interesting in that it's turn-based and then you kind of walk around a map, and I'm, I like games like that. It's from a third-person perspective. But the map is is not friendly. You look at this map, and rather than like, you know, like on an XCOM map, you can look around and you kind of get a good sense of the battlefield right away. So you kind of know, okay, well, I need to move this guy here. I'm going to flank over here. I'm going to cover these guys over here. Like, you get a good feel for what's going on. So you feel like you're kind of commanding the action. But in more time, I, I don't know where things are. Like, I don't know where my guys are. I don't know where the enemies are. I don't know like where we are in relation to each other. And so it's really hard to give orders and have people go in the right direction. Um, you can click the stick on the controller and it'll give you a top-down view of the map, but it zooms out like a thousand feet and it doesn't face the way that you're facing. So like, for example, if I'm in the game, like if I'm playing and I'm facing northeast, I want to zoom out so I can see what enemies are near me so I can position myself appropriately you click the map and then the whole map turns so that maybe the map is facing south. And then you're like, well, shit, this whole thing is backwards now. Where am I again? And then which way am I facing? I think I'm going this way. And then you get back out of the map and the whole thing flips around again for like no good reason. Like, I don't know why they do that. So I, I put like a couple hours into it and it was just pure frustration the whole time. I mean, it doesn't help that the graphics are really terrible, like really rough. Animation's super rough. Uh, I didn't have any investment in the story. Like the game starts out with this like this long text crawl, and this guy telling me stuff about the Warhammer lore that I don't know anything about, and it doesn't mean anything to me. I mean, maybe it would mean something if I was like already a Warhammer pro, but I'm not. I'm just a dude who kind of wants to learn more about it. I'm coming to this game to kind of stick my toe in the waters, and it was just like, oh, these guys were in the city and they were doing this thing, and this chaos lord came down, and this thing happened, and I'm like. I don't know what you're talking about, bro. I don't know what this is. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know who I am. Am I a good guy? Am I a bad guy? What, what's going on? Just the whole thing, the whole thing from start to finish just feels like a really, really big whiff. And I don't, I guess I just don't get why someone would make a game like this when there are so many other excellent examples of this genre to copy from. I mean, seriously, all you'd have to do is look at XCOM and be like, okay, we're going to make XCOM, but it's going to be straight, you know, we're going to swap these characters out for Warhammer characters. That would have been fine. That would have been, I would have been A-OK -okay with that, right? But, like, they are carrying some of the systems over to electronic format, and it just doesn't work. And I don't understand how these guys don't see that it doesn't work. I mean, maybe they know the game so well that they just can't see it. But as someone who is not familiar with Warhammer that well, and I'm, I've never played Mordheim before, 
Um, I just was lost and I felt like the whole thing was ugly and awkward and cumbersome. And I was like, there's 42 million other games I could be playing right now. And I'm not going to spend time with this one. So it was, it was a big, it was a big whiff all the way around. Or maybe they do see that it doesn't work, but the time constraints and the expenses that it takes to fix the things outweigh the fact that they just have to get the game out there. I guess. I mean, I hear that happens, but it's like, how could you not see earlier in the process, like how ugly this was, like how much text is on the screen when you're playing the game? Like how much, I just, I just can't imagine that, that anybody on this team has played a strategy game like this before. I mean, there, there's a ton out there. There's, there's been many out there for generations, right? I mean, Shining Force or the original XCOM or any of those other ones where it's like, you know, uh, you know, Vandal Hearts even or something like that. It's like, there's all these examples of like how to do it. And then I just like, have you never played any of those? Have you not? Do you not know what this is supposed to look like? Because you don't, it doesn't seem like you know. So I don't know what it is. I mean, I'm sure these people are nice people. I don't mean to get personal, not not casting aspersions on them personally. But as a critic and someone who is playing this game, I was like, this is terrible. So I'm very sorry, Rogue Factor. <laughs> Did not like your game even a bit. Better luck next time. And that is, that, that's Mordheim. Um Okay, we're going to have to cut some content because we are we are basically out of time, but I did want to really, really quickly touch on one more quick announcement that came out right after the Switch. Red Dead Redemption 2. Just really briefly, really briefly, Corey, are you a fan of the Red Dead series? What's your history? And are you stoked for Red Dead Redemption 2? Go. Ugh. Does that sigh tell you anything about what I think about Red Dead? <laughs> okay, <laughs> tells, tells me something. Here's what I think. Okay, I think that Rockstar Games is probably the most overrated development company in video games. And I think that I don't care what anybody says. Red Dead Redemption was Grand Theft Horse. And <laughs> I think Red Dead Redemption 2 is going to be Grand Theft Horse 2. Because I don't care what anybody says about how Grand Theft Auto has such an open world and you can do anything and all this shit and it's big and there's stuff going on. That's all well and good and it's all true. Like the Grand Theft Auto worlds are big, they're open, you can do whatever you want. But the thing that I absolutely cannot stand about Rockstar Games is that A, they've been following the exact same formula since Grand Theft Auto 3, which came out in like 2002 or something. Um, and that formula is oh, hello, we give you this giant open world that you can do anything in, but as soon as you take a mission, we put the leash on as tight as we can, and we make you go to this radar blip and then do this one specific thing, and then go to this radar blip and do this one specific thing. Oh, and then guess what you do after that? You go to the next blip, and then you do this one specific thing that we tell you to do, and then the mission's over, you get paid, and then you enjoy your free time if uh, in the open world if you want to enjoy that, and then you go to the next mission, and you do the exact same fucking thing. And, I, I mean, in Grand Theft Auto 3 and in Vice City, that was fine, because it was new, and it was fresh, and it was interesting, and maybe I was so young that I didn't care about how, like, tightly controlled the missions were. And I know that Grand Theft Auto 5 is still, like, like on every monthly list that comes out of the games that are being sold it's it's like number three or four or five like it's always in the top five video like best-selling video games of the month which just fucking blows my mind because those games are so boring and tightly controlled and not interesting 
that I just don't give a fuck about them. I played Grand Theft Auto V for like one hour and I was like, what? It's kind of like Assassin's Creed. I was like, wow, this is the exact same game that I played like 15 years ago whenever Grand Theft Auto III came out. And I liked it then, but like, can we do something else with the game? Like, can we, I don't know. I don't know, just do something else. Like, I'm just so tired of of uh, Rockstar's like formula because they haven't changed anything in so long. And I bet you they're not going to change anything in Red Dead Redemption 2. You're going to be a white guy on a horse or seven white guys because, God forbid, you play as a woman or a person of color, even though there was, like, one person of color in Grand Theft Auto V. It's, like, seven white dudes on horses, and you're probably going to be doing a bunch of missions where you go and get a mission from somebody, and you listen to them talk at you for five minutes, and then you go to one radar blip and do a thing, and then go to another radar blip and do a thing. And it's just... I just do not like that that kind of game and it also bothers me that because like rockstar like set the standard for how open world games are supposed to be with grand theft auto 3 that so many developers have decided that that's the way they're going to do it too and make open world games where you know you drive across a map and listen to somebody talk at you and then you go do a mission for them and then you just repeat that a hundred times and the game is over it's just not interesting to me and I just I do not like Red Dead Redemption. I played all of it. I thought it was garbage. I don't like I I just don't like Rockstar games. Like I wish they would fucking do something else rather than make the same fucking game over and over and over again. And there are so many people that are like, "Oh, well, I wish they were making Bully 2." Well, you know what Bully is? It's the exact same fucking thing that Grand Theft Auto is and Red Dead Redemption is. You're on a fucking school and you go to a person and listen to them talk to you for five minutes. And you go do a fucking mission for them. And then it's just the same fucking thing. And I'm like, how many different kinds of this game do you fucking people want? I'm just so goddamn tired of of Rockstar making the same fucking game over and over and over again. But I mean, it has an audience. People are paying out the ass for it if it's on the top five, you know, selling games every month. But I am just not into it at all, and I'm tired of them making the same fucking game over and over and over again, and Reddit Redemption 2 is going to be the same goddamn thing, and I'm just not into it. I'm not into it, Brad. Oh, my God. Okay, so day one. Day one for you. Pre-ordered, day one purchase. Yeah, that's right. Hopefully it comes out on the Nintendo Switch so I can play them together. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so Corey's got some feelings about Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, uh, we didn't talk about this before the show at all, so I, I wasn't sure what you were going to say. I had kind of a feeling, um, cause I feel like I kind of know where you land in terms of what you play and what you like. Um, as far as I am concerned, um, I am not really a Rockstar fan either, to be honest. I think they are also overrated and I'm not a fan of their formula. Uh, I don't, I mean, I've, I've, I've played and completed a couple of their games. I really liked San Andreas when it came out because kind of like you said, at that time it was the biggest, it was the, op- the most open, it was new it was still pretty novel i mean it was it was interesting and i did enjoy san andreas quite a bit but uh my enjoyment of the rockstar titles has diminished greatly with each successive entry no matter what the series is um it's weird to me kind of like you said that so many people are so into these games because i think i read somewhere that that grand theft auto 5 has sold something like 25 or 30 million copies it's it's pretty ridiculous like how much they keep selling and i don't know who keeps buying these? Like, I don't, why do, how are so many people playing this game? Like, what are they doing? Is it just the screw on online? It can't be for the story. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, as far as Red Dead Redemption 2 goes, not super stoked. I played a big chunk of the first Red Dead Redemption. Didn't care for it. I thought the story was structured in a really poor way where you ended up being the errand boy for everybody in, in the Wild West and it didn't make sense. Um, 
I, some parts of it I enjoyed, but in general, I, I got really bored of it and I stopped playing. Not super on fire to play Red Dead Redemption 2. Also, I think it's dumb that they called it Red Dead Redemption 2. I mean, apparently people forgot that Red Dead Revolver existed. That was the first game in the series. Uh, I, I enjoyed Red Dead Revolver. Uh, Red Dead Redemption 2, or Red Dead Redemption was a much different game, a much more sophisticated game, but it was clearly the second in the Red Dead series. I, I, I mean, I'm guessing that everybody has heard of Red Dead Redemption and nobody knows about Red Dead Revolver, so yeah, it's all about they called it Red Dead sweet, Redemption sweet 2. branding, Brad. Exactly. So they're carrying the branding forward, which makes sense i guess but like part of me is kind of irritated at it and i know people are like oh don't be angry video game nerd about it but it's kind of irritating to me i think you're gonna you're gonna redeem again you need more redemption you're gonna re-redeem that's oh kind of a God. weird title they should have just called it like know? red dead retribution or something like that like it's yeah like pick another r word yeah <laughs> yeah the, the red dead is in there people are gonna know and what the fuck it the is next like can be red dead resurrection Totally. There's like a whole there's a whole section in the dictionary with R words. I feel like they could have picked a different oh one. My but God. any anyway, uh, not super stoked. Um, I although I will say this, I will say this. Um, I know a lot of people have been pushing back against Rockstar because they have a really poor history with women in their games. Um, there's a lot of uh, female players who play their games. A lot of people are upset that they don't get female representation. Um, a lot of people feel like they portray uh, people really poorly in their games. I, I think this is a good chance for them to turn things around in terms of that. If they fucking care, which I don't think that they do. Because if you've sold 30 million copies of a game, which is basically a bunch of guys being assholes, why would you change that? So I don't think they're going to turn things around, but I think it would be great if they did. I think it'd be great if you could play as a female, if you could play as someone of color, uh, someone gay, anything like that. I mean, change it up a little bit, make it more interesting. Let's not do another white guy power fantasy again. Uh, if they do that, I would be more inclined to check it out. Uh, it's not like Rockstar is waiting for me to sign off on their game. I don't think that they are. But, you know, that's kind of what it would take for me to get into it. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I'm not super stoked. I know a lot of people are stoked. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, but it's not going to be a day one for me. And it sounds like it's not going to be a day one for you either. Yeah, I mean, and the sad-ish thing is, this probably isn't sad, but, like, no matter what Rockstar does, I mean, they could put out a game that's just, like, I don't know, like dog shit in a CD case and it would sell 30 million copies. Like no matter what they do or no matter what they put out, it's going to sell a bajillion copies because people are going to buy it. Even if reviews come out and it's all like sixes or whatever, which, you know, wouldn't happen. Like they're going to sell no matter what they do. So it doesn't matter. And they know they can get away with it, which is fine. Um, you know, copy and pasting the same formula for every single game. So like, it doesn't matter. They have no inclination to actually change anything they're doing. So, I mean, it just doesn't It doesn't matter. It's going to sell like crazy, no matter what they do. Yeah, I mean, despite our feelings, money talks, and they got plenty of it, brother. So I guess that's what's going down. Um, all right, this is going to do it for this installment of the So Video Games Podcast. Thanks very much for listening. And as always, please send us your thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to send us. You can reach us at SoVideoGamesPodcast at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter at SoVideoGames. Uh, and right now, we're going to say our goodbyes. So, bye from Brad. And bye from me. Sorry, audience, that I was so ranty today. I'm a little on fire right now. <laughs> we actually practiced this segment beforehand. <laughs> uh, a little disappointed that this didn't pop off, but that's okay. We'll try again next week. And... <laughs> <laughs> Come back again in seven days. See ya. Bye.